Welcome back to the Blarney Pilgrims podcast. You're very welcome. So, <laughs> I've just got back from being in Ireland at the Flakyol. Holy moly, <laughs> that is a monster. You're, st- you're still vibrating. <laughs> I, I'm just... So, for any long-time listener, you'll know I was putting calls out to do interviews and I had these grand illusions of, you know, taking an hour here and then grabbing this person here. No way, buddy. That thing is a monster. By the Saturday night, there was a, a feel like you could feel a, a giddiness to the town. Couldn't really tell that much was had changed. As soon as Sunday rolled in, it was hectic. Um, starting with um, Michael D's uh, speech at, uh, up in the Fair Green. So Michael D Higgins, the the president. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I'm on, I'm on Michael D terms with him. Uh-huh. <laughs> you want to go to the I've flat. actually met him, you know. Oh, have you really? Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I stood about 10 meters away from him uh-huh. and looked in awe. As an expat. He didn't mention me? He didn't. Uh-huh. But as an expat, listening to his speech, his speech is online if anyone would like to listen to it. But as an expat myself, it hit home and it hit home hard about what this music is, what it means to us now, and what it meant to all Irish people and as as they left for all different reasons to go around the world and it, it, how he delivered it with that kind of passion really at the start of a week I was I, was, yeah, I wasn't dry eyed I'll, I'll say that much it's 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 stunning it, it's like and um, maybe it's just because of the because of the, the the moment we're in as well though to, to see um, to see a president speak so eloquently and mm-hmm. with with such a sort of heartfelt faith and and belief yeah. in in the culture and the, and the music it was kind of uh, so beautiful. And I can't speak Irish, and Dom, you can't either, right? You've got no. like bare, bare bare bones. And what he was talking about, how there is a focus on the language at the moment, but the music fared so much better throughout the years. So to be even doing our small bit, doing a podcast like this to try and take a I know what you call it, like a soil sample of what's happening globally with, with people at the minute, which is kind of what we're doing. Just, I don't know, it really hit home. Anyway, that was the opener to what was definitely one of the busiest and emotional weeks of my life. It was so, uh, I'm at a loss for words to try and describe even the scale of it. 750,000 people apparently in one week. And that's just just the Ulan Pipers. (laughs) (laughs) I fell in love with Pipers. Uh I I was so lucky to find a few sessions where it was just piping sessions. Uh And which was something that I would ordinarily probably... 10 years ago I went nah that's I'm out not not I was drooling it was sensational mm. and I love it it's it's a um, it's a pick and mix like you've no idea what you're going to find either I've no idea how anyone finds good stuff because one minute you could be standing next <laughs> to I don't know three people who probably should take it somewhere private and <laughs> you turn around and it's a different <laughs> snug and you've got blistering sets happening or most beautiful rooms uh-huh. with slow airs being played isn't it I'll stop gushing. It, it, it was an incredible experience. I'm so grateful that I was um, able to go and, and indulge because that's what it was. It was mm-hmm. an indulgence. It was the first time I was in Ireland on my own in 16 years without family or wife as well. So it was really great just to, I can go to lectures and then do concerts back to back. And if I didn't like one session, I had no one to worry about. I just turned around, walked out and went into another uh-huh. one. So it was great. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So uh, today's guest who we have not mentioned uh, was receiving the... Uh, Flanagan Award for a lifetime's achievement in Irish music um, and he's still a young fella yeah. <laughs> relatively yeah, so, and came to the game late which yeah. I hadn't realised uh, the man of whom we're speaking of course is John Carty who's today's guest and uh, he very kindly t- took some time out and went up to Darren's mum and dad's house <laughs> it was very strange we, we sat in the back room my dad has a <laughs> very cosy room where he's kind of made it his throne to music and TV. So it was just paintings, DVDs, CDs, and a TV. Little little palace in there. So John, myself and John sat in there for an hour and we had a, a good old yarn. Brilliant. So that's what's coming up today. And and John, it's, as many of you may know, is just an amazing player and a, and a great custodian of the music and uh, the culture. So um, just a quick word before we go on about uh, patreon.com forward slash Blarney Pilgrims. Anybody who's gone along and subscribed, thanks very much. Thank that's you. Brilliant. Uh, $2 an episode is what we're hoping for by way of support. If you can do that, that's fantastic. If you can't, that's okay. Listen on. But if you can, 
Yeah. That, that's fantastic. Think of it as you're just you're giving us a donut or a I'll take a donut. A, a Mars bar. Aye. It's just a, a bit of sustenance. It's just a, you know, encourage us. Go on, lads. Yeah. <laughs> it's the donut on the end of the stick. So that's um at P A T R E O N dot com, Patreon dot com forward slash Blarney Pilgrims. So go there's on a there. wee little button there in green that says become a patron and you can, you that can go can for be, two dollars. And don't be afraid if you think it's even better than two dollars. I mean, buy us two donuts. The options there. <laughs> Buy us a whole bag. Just live on the edge. You're still getting the same content. <laughs> There's no, no we, prizes, yeah. but but you do get a good feeling of um, moral superiority. Maybe we know. absolutely joke. So we we really do appreciate it. So thank you very much, John. Thank you so much for giving up your time. Absolutely appreciate that too. And uh, congratulations on the award again. And away we go. Carthy, welcome to the Blarney Pilgrims. Thanks very much. Thanks. Great to be here. Oh, well, so we're actually sitting in my uh, my old home back in Indrada. So this is a for me, it's a bit of a strange one to be all the way back here and then to have you come and sit with us. So that um, set of tunes, what were they? Well, funny, that's a set of tunes there, starting off with the Jolly Beggar Man and uh, 
the one after it, I, I just can't remember the, the full name of it. And the last one is Paddy McGinty's Ghost. But it's a set I've put together because I'm in Drogheda today. I'm receiving an award next week at the FLA here, the, the All Ireland FLA, called the Flanagan Award. And um, that's the kind of music the Flanagan brothers used to play. So I just thought I'd pick that to start off with because yeah. I got my banjo with me today. I just stopped to do a little TV promo thing. Yeah. So the Flanagan Award, can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, well, it's something that's been around for the last... This is the fourth year, and previous recipients have been Dr. Mick Maloney from Limerick originally, but he used to play with the Johnstons. And uh, Mick lives out in uh, America, and he would have met um, one of the Flanagan brothers. One of the brothers lived till he was about... Well, well, up near 1990, and he was a very old man at that stage. Mike Flanagan was his name, and he was a banjo player. So that's why they give this award at the Flowers. So previous recipients, as I said, is Mick Maloney, Jerry O'Connor, and uh, I think Kieran Hanrahan of RTE fame and Stockton's Wing. They were the previous, so I got the... Uh, the shout this year, so just in the throes of doing Fantastic. that. Fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, thanks very much. So nice. You didn't grow up in Ireland, did you? You from well, you grew up in yeah, London? Yeah, I grew up I grew up in London. Yeah. Um born in the early sixties. Typical kind of immigrant story if you like, you know, my parents went over to the UK and met there. Funny enough they met in Manchester, England. And uh, my father played music and my mother although she didn't play her brothers played so it was at a session in manchester that they met right. and um they did they decided after a while that they'd go to london and they settled in london and got married in london and then that's where we were born so that was in the early 60s and i suppose by about 1972 or three you know i was, I was 10 or 11 that time and um uh, started looking at the music, yeah. you know. So I was lucky, really, because it was a thriving Irish music scene. So what took them to London? Uh, work, you yeah. know. And London was the um, the Sydney of, uh, <laughs> of of the UK as regards bigger rates. Yeah, you know. But my father told me if we'd stayed in Manchester, you know, we would have um, probably uh, probably been better off in a way, you know. So where did they move from? They moved from the west of Ireland, of course. My mother came from uh, Galway, uh, okay. Connemara, and my father came from Roscommon, Boyle, County Roscommon. So a bit of a full circle at the minute, because I live, I live now in Boyle, County Roscommon, and I've been there for almost 30 years. So my two children were born there. I know you know our daughter Maggie, but James also, his son, and... Uh, they were both reared there and they've flown the nest now. So my son's back in London yeah. and Maggie, of course, is in uh, Melbourne at the moment. Yeah, right. So when you were saying that there was the thriving Irish scene in London, so what did you say you were 10, 11 when you started paying attention to that? Uh, well, uh, not really. I mean, I, I've always had an interest in the music because my father played and my uncles played. But around that time, um, I started to learn to play, if you like. Mm. So, um, But as I say, London after the war years... You know, in the 50s and 60s, all the immigrants came from, from Ireland and uh, they took their music with them. And I do believe it's the first place the session was born, like in London pubs. So all these musicians were meeting each other and they all happened to be great exponents. And uh, it was a flourishing scene. You know, there was two great scenes in Irish music that are fairly well documented. New York being the fir first of them in the 1920s. Very similar story, Irish immigrants going out and bringing their music with them and, um, you know, started recording. So, and, But you said the maybe the concept of the Irish session happened in London. What, what do you mean by that? Is that something that wasn't really that common in Ireland before it? Or it's a bit because people went to a common place? Uh, well, it was, it was in different... Um, say the music in Ireland would have been house dances. Mm -hmm. So there'd be two musicians maybe booked to play in a country house dance, as they used to call it. And that's where the music was played. It'd be mainly for the dance would have been a big part of that. You know, yeah. musicians would be, they used to call them porter sprees, country house dances. But uh, the clergy never liked them because people were enjoying themselves and they weren't getting a cut out of it, basically. <laughs> so um, this, I mean, it's... Once again, you can read up on this, but this, I'm talking about the 1930s. Mm. So then um, 
the clergy kind of got the dances going. And then that's, that's when the Cayley band started to form, you know, because they needed bands to play. And say, I suppose, during the, the 40s and 50s, all these great bands, the Ockram Slopes, you know, Tullock and Kilfenor and all these great bands yeah. were, were really born, you know, just pre-Flower era, era, which was 1952. So around that time, mass immigration, all the guys, all these musicians that maybe played in the Cayley Band or for country house dances, they all met in London and they all had this common interest and so they wanted to share a tune. So the next thing, you know, they were sitting in a corner and the session began, Yeah. you know, as we know it today. And it, I was in Australia recently and it's as strong there as it is all over the world. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, I'm, I'm looking to interview um, Nick Gar- Garcia, Gracie, who's, he does the Art of Tripling show. It's actually at the fly this, um, this coming week. He is a an Appalachian dancer and a um, oh Nick Garris yeah yeah Gar- yeah, yeah, Gar- yeah I know Nick and listening to him he was speaking about a law that was passed in the nineteen thirties in Ireland that affected and he's going to be able to explain it a lot better now but it it banned the dances in private homes which meant that it moved into dance halls which changed the instrument instrumentation so we started to change what instruments we were playing because you couldn't hear a fiddle on a Exactly. See, that's fascinating. Exactly. So, so does that? Let me just make the sound for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, banjos were being starting to be introduced to to, to Kaylee bands around that time. Is that part of the yeah. reason? Right. And they first had an introduction in the states in the nineteen twenties. Now, I mentioned the Flanagan Award, and the Flanagans. Uh, had banjos in their, you know, there was two brothers that played banjos in, in their setup. People like James Morrison from County Sligo would have had banjos in his bands, or orchestras as they called them at the time, as would Paddy Killoran. So, you know, they have had a role, but it's still a baby. The, the instrument's still a baby, really, in Irish music. You know, like when you, the musicianship, like it was in fiddle playing and piping at the time, that, that was its infancy, mm. you know. I actually heard a story through Dominic, who's the the other creator of this show, that the vamping of the piano, did that come around the same time because of the possibly the unions in America to have a band, you needed a, a piano player, so that's... Do you know anything oh, about uh, that? It could well have been, because um, a lot of the early recordings had um, piano players that were obviously hired, but didn't know how to play Irish music. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just vamping, as you say. Yeah. And sometimes it was desperate, you know, it was detrimental to the music. Yeah. Yeah. So again, go back to London, the, there was the thriving scene. So your dad was playing, what was your dad playing? My dad was a flute player. There's a big tradition of flute playing from County Roscommon. I mean, it's very, very well known. And dad played the flute. His father played the flute and fiddle, funny enough. And my father then could play fiddle. And just over a journey, he was just one of those guys, I suppose I follow in his footsteps that I play a few instruments myself. But um, in the army, he picked up the pipes, you know, the Highland pipes, and right. he learned how to play those. And it was a good gig in the army, you know, he, had to, he was, because, uh, um, you know, they, they got lots of outings, like with the pipe band and mm-hmm. that. And he couldn't read music, I mean, but he said it, all he had to do, if he, if, he, if he heard the tune, like he could pick them up as good. So, and he also played banjo, I suppose, from playing the fiddle, you know, it's, it's a similar, the way we play a lot of Irish banjo anyway, it's a similar fingering, to, same fingering as, as the violin, and we tune it that way. Mm-hmm. So it was very handy, because he was a Cayley band player, and uh, he played in Cayley bands in, in the Irish dancer scene in London, which was thriving during the 60s and that, and he played with a band called the Glenside Cayley Band, um, with whom I know one of your former interviewers or interviewees, Kevin Burke, played with them also. Yeah. So um, Kevin was only 16 at the time, but he played with the Glenside and they won on All-Ireland, you know. But my father, particularly on the songs, he'd, he'd play, not the banjo actually, the banjo mandolin. It's a, right. it's a ferocious little instrument. Yeah. yeah. And so, did you say mum played as well? No, she didn't play, but her brothers played. Okay, her right. Mother's brothers played, so they were... They, uh, my uncle John played violin, um, only only for his own enjoyment. I mean, he 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 wasn't like a fiddle like he he loved music, and he could knock a couple of tunes out of the fiddle. That was the way it was. Yeah. My uncle 
Paddy, or Porik as they knew him, these were Folan. Folan was their name from Connemara. He he um he played the box and he, he could knock a nice few tunes. There are recordings of um Paddy and myself. I got him into a studio in London at one stage and we recorded a few tunes together. These people are all passed away, by the way. Yeah, I will come back because I do yeah. want to talk to you about the producing that you've done recording yeah. with people. But um with the just when we were in London, what was the what was the instrument that you picked up first then? My very first instrument in London, uh, I we we were lucky. The area I lived there was a man by the name of Brendan Mulcair from County Clare, and Brendan started teaching literally hundreds and hundreds of kids in different areas in London. You know, it was a huge Irish, it's the biggest Irish uh, immigration spot in the UK. So. Those parents now had children, you know, the ones who went over to work. So those, so they needed some. They wanted to show them a bit of Irish culture. Yeah. And Brendan was a school teacher by trade, but he was also a music teacher. His father before him was a music teacher. Uh, Jack Mulcair was his name, and he taught around East Galway. He was a part of the famous Ockram Slopes Cayley Band. Right. Paddy Fahey and all those crew, you know. So Brendan started teaching. It was right on our doorstep, and. Uh, we used to go along to him, and I once played banjo, but I was just literally physically too small. So he said, play the mandolin, we'll give you the fundamentals, you'll be able to reach the frets, you know, rather than... So I was playing the mandolin, I, I, I struggled for the first year, not so much with the mandolin, just getting my head around concentration and didn't get anywhere. I think he was on the verge of giving me <laughs> my dismissal papers when uh, I just learned one tune. Funny enough, my father took time out with me and went through this jig. I remember the jig. Yeah, it's going to ask That's the little jig he taught me. And um, went to the class. I remember it being a Wednesday evening and I used to be dreading being called <laughs> to play like of course, this night I was only... And of course, he didn't call me. He was embarrassed for me, you know? Yeah, so he still gave you a pass. <laughs> so, um, so, but once I learned the one tune, I just never looked back. I mean, it just all fell into place for me. And what kind of teaching was it? Was it from paper, from page? Was it Yeah, you? it was really. And that was probably my, my stumbling block, trying to read staff notation. What do you mean by that? Uh, just reading of the, the music. Oh, but why was that the stumbling block, do you think? Because uh, I couldn't read it. I could hear it. Right. You know what I mean? And you had the some, attitude. Yeah, once somebody way. sat down and actually went through it with me, you know, I got it. Like, yeah. But I, I couldn't pick it up. I could pick, like, it was almost like what you hear about um, when people have sort of a word blindness, you know. Uh, I could follow, like, two bars. I knew what the notes but. I just then I'd go astray like, yeah. and then I'd, I wouldn't have the time signatures right for the length of the notes, and inevitably I'd just leave it, you know. So what was it then that kind of rolled you on? Well, once I got the, you know, the tune off, the picture just suddenly appeared for me, and then I could hear the, I could hear it where everything was, and my it just happened overnight. Like I can't rightly explain it, but yeah. there was a day I couldn't play any tune through at all, and once I got one tune. You know, I, I could see where You're it was away. all going. And uh, I, I had an amazing ear, really, because I could start hearing what people were doing. And I was... It, it really did catapult them from being able to play a simple jig like that into hearing what some of the great musicians were doing around London and be able to actually, you know, imitate yeah. like, the, the, the beautiful little nuances they had. So did you have a little posse of... Because Sorry, I shouldn't say posse, but you would have had... It sounds like a lot of peers coming up with you. Did you have people, like peers that were learning at the same rate as you or were you kind of just taken off on your own? You see, a lot of a lot of the people learning me would go to the classes and they would do their you know, they would do the class and they would come back the next week. But I what I, I suppose an advantage I had over them was my father played. And my uncle was really into Irish music. So he'd take me around to, to where the music, really good music was being played. Yeah. I mean, the top musicians in London, people like Roger Sherlock, Tommy McCarthy, Bobby Casey. All these people were playing in different places, especially on a Sunday lunchtime. 
And he'd bring me along, you know, and I had the interest in it too, you know, I was beginning to play and I was beginning to recognise that this guy, and of course they knew me, who my father was and my uncle, so it was a, it was in, I had a bit of an in, you yeah. know. And so I had, the, so then I'd go back the next week to the class and they'd be still on the one tune maybe that we were learning. They'd learn it, but I might have about six tunes learnt that mm. maybe the teacher didn't even know. You know, yeah. that I'd been kept after in the pub and somebody would be playing that happened all the time i mean because my uncle was so mad for music and now his nephew uh my uncle was a a character who'd drank a lot in his youth but he'd given up the drink by my time so i mean he he, he loved his music and uh god he used to take me off every sunday and so lucky yeah. you know, i was really lucky yeah so what age were you at this stage that 11 12 uh, but from that age all the way up to about 16 i was going out absorbing music i mean i got in with some of the great players a good friend of ours used to take us my uncle never drove but sean mcdonough he was a great uh, accordion player and family friend you know and he'd bring us off on sundays and i remember he he had a child at the when I was 16 I remember it well because I, I always said to myself I'm going to you know mark now I'm 16 years older than this lad you know <laughs> but who played at his his um his christening was Finbar Dwyer the great accordion player so there I was in the living room listening to Finbar and I had my tape recorder and taping this absolute genius now you know I mean it doesn't I'm doing him an injustice. It's, it's widely known in Irish traditional music circles what, what a creative player he was. So at that age, I was beginning to see the create in-depth creativity that was the potential for mm-hmm. So, you know, I was invited then to play with um, two great musicians called Roger Sherlock and Raymond Rowland. And they had like the best gig in town. It was in a pub called The White Heart and Fulham Broadway. And I got two gigs with them on a Thursday night and a Saturday night. And I mean, what you learn in that, for for two hours, non-stop, yeah. very little talking, didn't need to present the tunes like we do today. We just played and people would listen. But you'd learn an awful lot, you know. Um, those guys would have pints at their feet, you know, uh, and you daren't kick one of them <laughs> over because you'd be in serious yeah, trouble, yeah. you know. So you learn all about uh, stage spatial awareness and things like that you know you you learn to be in your own little (laughs) small little stage like you know you you learn how to and and as I say the dexterity you'd get from playing from these guys now these were you know I was playing with men now they were a lot stronger than me but I had to try and keep up with them and all my little muscles developed and I could play the banjo and with them, I mean, the, I wouldn't have been kept if, yeah. <laughs> if so I couldn't. Could you feel yourself developing your own unique style by that stage? I, I didn't really, uh, I didn't analyse it whatsoever. I just found myself being able to play. And I also found myself looking at different tunes during the week. And because you'd be inevitably be asked to play a solo, everybody would play a solo mm. like that. So, you know, I didn't want to play the solo I played last week. So I'd be kind of looking around and, um, I was looking into playing in different keys and things, my, my fingers. I had that brain at the time that was young enough to, to do these things. Yep. You know, I mean, I'm, today, like, we're asked to learn all different stuff. You know, it takes you a lot longer, like, but that time, um, I was, you know, I was cutting edge in a way, and you were, finding things. And you were a young man. I take it you, you had a day-to-day job as well. Well, I'm talking about the age of 16 to 18. So I was just leaving school, getting yeah. an apprenticeship as, as a carpenter. So um, yeah, it was around that time that I really developed my music, particularly on banjo. Yeah. And then what, then what was the change? When did, it, when did it change from something that you loved doing to this could be a career? Uh, that wasn't until that's not that long ago. That's uh, I was I was in my I had a young family when I started playing music professionally. Yeah, okay. You know, I'd moved to Ireland at the age of about thirty, thirty-one, I think. Uh, R. James was on the way, and um, you know, I was doing bits of part-time work. I was playing music, but I suppose I, was, I had more time to play then, and I started meeting musicians. I fancied making a recording. So I, I made a recording on the banjo called The Cat That Ate the Candle. And uh, it just started from there. And then suddenly you're on the radio, and one thing leads to another. Yeah. I put some fiddle music on that. 
Shanaki Records, man by the name of Dan Collins, picked up on me fiddle music and uh, he 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 asked me would I do three albums for Shanaki Records. That yeah, was a huge wow. thing. Like, uh, so I did, and suddenly my name's getting out all over the world because at that time there was record companies. Mm. There isn't so much today, you know. So uh, it's fortuitous in a way, but um, lucky. And of course, when you when you're on radio and when you're going out. Other musicians here, and then they you get invited, you know. And I made a, my own band at the Racket. Then Patrick Street asked me to play with them, and Matt Malloy. We had a trio together. We still do, with Artie McGlynn, and we started doing gigs together, focusing in on the music of say, the Sligo North Connacht kind of music. Yeah. And uh, other various odds and sods, you know. It's, so then, you, then playing in London for all those years, when you came back here, did you feel like you had a family root here or did you need to re- kind of build a community? Well, I, I always knew I had family roots here. I mean, that was a very much um, a ritual for Irish Londoners to be brought to their family, their original family home in mm-hmm. Ireland every summer. So we were no exception. My mother, oh, during the 60s, we'd spend our holidays on Irish farms, you know, my in my mother's place in Connemara, and then we'd go to my father's place where I live now in Boyle. And um, so I always felt totally at home, particularly in the house that I, I now live in. Because, mm. you know, my grandparents were there, and um, we'd spend our summers, and as... As I was moving into my teenage years, we'd spend a lot of Christmases at home. You know, there'd be the visits were getting more frequent. I think my parents had a little bit more money that time, and they were able to come at Christmas. My grandparents were getting old, right. so that type of thing. Yeah. So I felt totally at home in Ireland. You know, I always did. And then, would you play when you came? Yeah, my father would bring me around to the music, in particular the music around the Sligo area, because. Yeah. Um, that was great, like because I heard about great musicians like Fred Finn and Peter Horan and Jim Donahue and all these great names, and now I was getting to meet them as a fourteen and fifteen year old. So I had all that music, uh, as well as the the, the established London scene. So, uh, my my father's great friend who used to manage the Glenside Kelly Band, a man by the name of Ted McGowan. He had a pub in Gurchin, County Sligo, called the Rogin Dove. And it's just a mecca for music. So we'd go over there and like we'd we'd be made feel so welcome. Of course he'd bring us into the kitchen after after the pub was closed and he'd bring Peter Horan in and my father and Peter would play tunes together and you know, I was fourteen or fifteen. I'd just listen. Yeah. You know, uh you know, they'd they'd have, they'd ask you to play a tune too. But you know, it was, it was a good old grounding like for music. There's been a bit of a reoccurring theme. I think it's kind of hard because we're based in Australia and it's and particularly for myself because I'm I am so new to trying to understanding it but the Sligo sand let's say or the or that kind of connect sand how would you how do you how do you how would you describe it um I always describe it as just an accent one of the accents you know as low you know how you hear a Donegal man talk mm. or you hear a Sligo man talk or a Kerry man, or a Clare man, or a God. But it's just like that in music. We're actually all doing pretty much the same thing, but it's just a different accent. Yeah. And, um, you know, I know for people coming into the music, it's not that clear how to, to hear that. But that's exactly what it's like. It's a, di- a musical dialect. Sligo, the Sligo music, uh, you, you know, the further back you go, the stronger the accent. So when you hear, say, when Peter Horan used to play, you... you You'd know instantly. Jesus, yeah. that's Sligo. Like it's just a lift about it. And were you were, were um, you aware of that coming back and forth from London? So you would hear because obviously London there's a mix. No, I, I can assure you, I wasn't aware of that. Right. At that okay. time, when I was when I was four, everybody was a musician. Yeah. You know, I I had a great interest in in wanting to know where everybody was from. You know, I knew like that Bobby Casey was from Clare. But to me, he played like Bobby Casey. But I didn't realise that Junior Crehan, who also came from Clare and Paddy Kenny, uh, although they were very individual, but you, there is a definitely clear, uh, you know, dialect in there, yeah. in there, which is lovely and spacious. You know, I suppose the most famous exponent of it, in a way, today is Martin Hayes. You know, 
It's, it's lovely long length length in the notes. Um, but to me, it was just Bobby Casey playing. That's the way he played. You know, he played very different to Brian Rooney, who had a more of an attacking style. You know, uh, wouldn't be hanging around on the notes as long. Yeah. You know? So Danny Meehan then, he was from Donegal, and unknowns to me had a massive Donegal flavour. But he was the only person I knew from Donegal. But yeah. of course, years later, we got to hear Tommy Peoples. And then John Doherty, and you know, so then you see where where the the roots of that are. Yeah. Where do you reckon? Where do you reckon that is going with? So the internet, that I I can sit in Bowenheads in Australia, and I can I can learn, I can I can pick a teacher, I can get Skype lessons, but I can pick and choose. It's so easy to 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 pick something from here from there. Do you, do you think these accents will stay around as much as they as they were, or, or do you think they are as predominant? I don't think it's as easy for the accents to stay around. I think um, one of our most celebrated counties in music is probably County Clare. But, you know, you go there today, you're not going to hear people playing like Bobby Casey. You know, there will be a few that hone in on what he did. But they play like, they just play Irish music. They could be from Glasgow, they could be from uh, anywhere. You know, there's a general Irish music out there which is really good quality, by the way, but that accent thing you're talking about, some people go in for it. You know, um, my son James now has a kind of nice Sligo flavour. When I say Sligo, I mean Leitrim, Roscommon, you know, East Mayo, that kind of general area. He's that lovely flavour going through his music because he's listened more to the older players like Coleman and Morrison and Lado Burn. And it's there where the accents are stronger. You know, so should we say Martin Hayes is my own vintage? Well, he would have heard his father, P. John, Paddy Canny. So he is that, he, he inherited that style, you know, and yeah. uh, developed it and made it very accessible for people to listen to. Would you, would you have an example of, of something that you would say is, that you would play that would be in that Sligo style? Uh, we see... I'm caught between two stools because I played the banjo here. I could play along with someone on it with with, but the Sligo music really is fiddle and flute music. See, I'm showing my so, ignorance. <laughs> you know, so yeah. the the banjo is more of a general. You know, I've I've got my own style really on the banjo that I've developed. Yeah, and it was really kind of a. You know, it's in my formative years that I learned how to play the banjo this way. I've been developing it all along, mm. but. Um, but, um, so how, how do you classify a, your style? Like, what, how, like describe it, I mean. Yeah, I'd describe my style as being born out of all the great musicians I heard over the years, yeah. partic- particularly from the London days, you know, bits of finbard wire in there. For years I was trying to imitate flute players on the banjo. So I have a little kind of a breathy thing going on. I have a stop every now and again, and it's it's, it's almost where people take a breath. Yeah. Um, so it's just think we John have a Carty, tune? I suppose, yeah. yeah. Could we have a tune? Yeah, sure. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I'll play um, two tunes. Of, I haven't played them in a while, but um, they come from, uh, one of them's called The Jogger Punch and Eddie Kelly's. So uh, kind of a slower type tunes, you know.
That's a beautiful banjo. So yeah, nice. she's a nice, nice tool, right? Uh, earlier on, you mentioned the, some of the produ production work that you you did. Like, yeah, obviously you, you produced um, Brian Rooney's album. Um, when, when you're in that producing realm, is it is it something that you would like to bring to the table? Like, what's your approach to it? Well, when I when I was involved in Brian's album, I knew the caliber of musician that Brian was, so I just wanted to showcase you know his his beautiful subtleties that that he had and um so just kind of you just have to be a kind of a nagging old nanny really and then say well why don't you try it like brian wouldn't have necessarily had a, a great game plan in fact i remember it clearly there's about three tunes right on a labrook's betting slip you know so i had to think of all the tunes i knew he played yeah so in one way it was easy for me to produce brian's album because i knew i knew what was that in there you know you had a very definite idea where yeah, you would like to have extracted exactly yeah. so so we, we set him up with some of the finest players in ireland and uh, and he didn't disappoint you know it's one of those albums yeah. that uh you know it's just one of the great fiddle albums really mm. and, and it came at a time when um nobody really knew brian you see because uh, he 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 plowed his furrow in london that's where his music was being shaped and he wasn't a gigger he wasn't a man who went out gigging he played all right in sessions and that um i, I did have a band with him once in in my formative years when we used to play the pubs in london uh but but by and large he was went kind of under the radar so it was a massive surprise for people when suddenly this class music was going out on radio and with great times with that recording and subsequent years after you know he started to get recognition and won awards yeah. and uh recorded again um yeah that was that so was it more it's more so the what the artist has to offer as a from as a uh, as an artist rather than a particular sound you're looking for or, or a, an aesthetic it's a bit of everything like that you know um you can often go in with a game plan for an album and i've done this on albums myself you know you you and then you get in with people and suddenly something gets played or a tone, you know, from a guitar or bazooka and you think, God, I like that. Or their approach to the given tune you're just given and suddenly you get this picture that's being coloured in front of your eyes and it's, it's it's just more than the dance tune then. Yeah. And it becomes a, just a, a sound that's quality. And if you're lucky enough to get that, you know, you, you've hit the jackpot really. Yeah. Just, just a shame like there isn't thousands of millions into it, but it's really some of it's really high end in our music, mm. but it is a minority, you know. So, how, and how do you reckon the Irish music recording scene is at the minute? Obviously, record sales are not where they were at, but it's it's now more it's easier to record than ever, and it's easier to to, to produce and get it out there. Where do you think it, it's at, and where's it going? Uh, it's like there's no, um, there's anything goes today, you know. Mm. Uh, I think that's detrimental. Like just the airwaves get filled up with. Well, it wouldn't be to my taste, yeah. you know. So, it's as you say, it's never been easier to record. That's that's absolutely true. But um, sometimes there was a standard, though, you know, that record companies would look for. They need to and see the value in you. Yeah. yeah, that's gone now. So, you know, there's there's. People are producing themselves, so sometimes that can be a mistake. You know, they think they know, but they mm. don't really know. So, so therefore, you got these great guys around people like Donald Lunny who do know. You know, and when they go and produce, and they can add so much mm. to an album. Um, so I think it's pros and cons. You know, about the recording industry at the minute. I did have a thought about. <sighs> It came, it came about through doing this podcast, and I missed I missed the the wave when the Buffy band and Planksty and when those bands came through, I, I wasn't around. I didn't pay attention. But what I've come to learn through talking to people is they definitely approach things in a completely different way. They shook things up. The arrangements weren't what they normally were. There were songs with tunes which would never normally have happened. And it's only even the last couple of weeks I've been thinking, geez. How much of that is happening at the minute where we've become a little bit normalised to the last thirty years, yeah. and we think this is this is where we're at? Because there is a lot of um, resistance to anything that's a bit fusion. 
Yeah. We had a great band on there a couple of weeks ago that had didgeridoo, and the, those guys are killing it. I love them. They're absolutely fantastic. Yeah. yeah, I don't have an answer to it, but it's just it's a, it's a where is it going? Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, this, you, you know, they were benchmark bands. I mean, mm. the musicianship in them bands alone, like every one of them have gone on to, to forge solo careers. When yeah. you take the, say, the Bothy band, I mean, Matt playing flute. Crazy. I mean, you know, he's, he's not been surpassed. Like, yeah. I don't doubt he ever will be. Yeah. He's a kind of a Michael Coleman figure. And Paddy Keenan on the pipes. You know, there again, you talk about high-end. You know, you had Tommy Peoples, Kevin Burke at different times. Absolute high-end. fit all gone on to, you know, gods in, in, in Irish music. And you had to look at the back, the back team like O'Donnell, <laughs> yeah, Trina, and um, Michal O'Donnell, of course. You know, and then when you look at Planksty, I must say that say the Buffy band, people have tried to emulate with the musicianship, oh, with the music, not the musicianship, but the musical instrumentation. But like Planksty, you know, nobody's even come close to even when when you think it's a set of pipes. Imagine having to make room for a set of pipes in the 1970s and and they did it so well and they had many, many stringed instruments, bazooki, mando cellos, mandolins, guitar. Uh, I mean, just trying to tune the, these instruments yeah. and then tune pipes in with them and do live performances and come up with these most gorgeous arrangements. I mean, it's it's uh, it's pretty stunning stuff, you know. So um, you don't see too many like Planksty style bands no. out there. Like you, there's so many out there copying, should we say, the the Dannon template. You know, mm. the box, the fiddle, the banjo, whatever, the the token singer, the, the bazooka. You know, but, yeah. Um, it's something we normally kind of ask at the end. I do have other questions, but I'll ask them now anyway. But who's who's on who's on your radar at the moment? Where you kind of you would say. This this is who you should be listening to. Have have it have it have a look at these guys. Well, I'll tell you who's who's doing their own thing. I don't, I know that some of the musicians aren't into it, but the gloaming, mm. you know, I mean, for God's sake, like you got two fiddles, a piano, uh, what else is in? There? Oh, the yeah, guitar, oh, the guitar, and Erla yeah. um, singing yeah. them sometimes. I mean, it's just absolutely extraordinary that they're found to, to stay out of each other's way. Um, contribute all the things that a band should do they've yeah. done it with with you know with those instruments so they're, they're and like they're winning like they're, yeah. they're they're packing out places so they're really probably the most creative band for me out there at the moment you know um i'm i'm, I'm old school like you know, I'm, a, I'm an old school musician so i like to see the music being getting the treatment i think it deserves that's but you're old school but that's Beautifully progressive, at the same oh, time. You don't have to tell me. Yeah, I mean, just, this is this is why I find a lot of the bands are amiss because they don't have the musicianship of say, you know, the Dan and like mm-hmm. Frankie's playing or the Bothy band or Liam O'Flynn. You know what I mean? That 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 level of musicianship. Um, there's like factory. I, I work in <laughs> Limerick University, and there's like there's like a factory. There's a band every week. You know. And, like uh, I might be working with these people and know their, their um, capabilities, you know. But the next thing I see them, have good luck to them, yeah. you know. But I mean, uh, you know, if you if you're talking about high end, and see, audiences won't know the difference between, you know, really high end, although they do really at the end of the day. But um, but it's easy to fool, you know. I mean, if you've got the the stomping audience at a big festival, you know, yeah. there's a kind of a formula for them. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I suppose speaking with like Kevin and and some um, and uh, Mary McNamara and and I suppose her her dad and Arlene's dad was around when the music was played just for for the music and the, like, the scholarly side of music has has made a, a bigger and bigger presence and we're about to see another huge competition go down. Where do, where does that does it fit in naturally? Is it all positive? Are there negatives to it? Uh, it's it's like any walk of life. There's there's po- positives and negatives. You know, I mean, like 
uh, our children never bothered with competition, but they 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 competition with within themselves to try and play the best of their ability, and yeah. that's really where I think the competition should be. There's nothing as um, annoying when maybe a, an enthusiastic parent rings you for a few tunes for the flower, like you know. So I don't, I don't even know what is required of them at the flowers anymore. <clears throat> so I, I think it's all about developing, you know, your own competition and being artistic. I like art in music, you know. Uh, many a time we've seen it, and I've seen it so much, you know, where a musician will kill you with one tune that they've practised and they know every... And, like, so that's not art. Yeah. You know, that's just uh, gymnastics, like, in a way, they've got the skills to do it. But put them on another tune and there's nothing there. So, you know, the player who can keep coming up with the goods, like, and keep you interested... They're the players I'd watch out for. So the, the the university thing, I can't say anything about that because I get employed by yeah. university. But I've worked... Like, but I, I think again, it's a great this, thing, yeah. Like, it's some fantastic. people embrace it. Some of the students are absolutely like students are and some don't bother. You know, mm. you think, what are you doing here? You know, you've done nothing from one end of the week to know. Other guys will come in, I might give them a tune and... They'll go off and research the churn. They come in and give me the name of the churn, who recorded it, where it came from, you know, and it's it's amazing. But it's a privilege to be able to to do it, to be in to be in a time when that's uh, yeah, an option. So I do welcome that, you know. And then who those and then those those kids go out and who who they touch and and the music spreads that way. Like I'm sure you've got tens and hundreds of international students that then take that yeah. across the world. It does, it happens over the, the course of the last 15 or 20 years. You know, I try and share as much as you can. Yeah. And I give them a little tune that I know won't be in their session in Wyoming or wherever it is. Yeah. And uh, might be one I picked up locally at home, you know. Do you think you can give us a, a session buster? <laughs> session buster. <laughs> well, this little tune is it's a jig we found recently. And it's a version, I think Maggie may have played it on your show before the, and got the, the wrong name. It's yeah. called the, <laughs> just get her back in. Yeah. It's called The Geese and the Bug. Start. Your mum and dad are they still with us? Uh, my father is. My yeah. mother passed away many years ago. Yeah, great. Yeah. So will um, will your father be able to make it to the? No, he's, he's he's not really travelling much at the minute, and yeah. uh, plus he's um, his wife hasn't been just well that just lately. So he's he's keeping you know he's keeping an eye. Okay, on things, yeah. yeah. But it was great that he he would have seen you then transition from part time to actually. Being the, the musician you are, that's a, that's a beautiful yeah, thing. Yeah, because my father was a great man for the day's work. You yeah. Know? And, um, <laughs> so you could prove you did that and then... Yeah, I worked with him as well. But, um, you know, he, he just wasn't into musicians that couldn't get up in the morning. You know, and he played with loads, like in the pub scenes in London and the dancers. But, um, but you had to be able to do a day's work. And it's, it's, it's really hard to... You know, to to measure what we do, yeah. Like, because a lot of it's, you might look like you're doing nothing, but you're actually working in your head. You know, you're mm -hmm. trying to get get tunes, and you. I don't really have a comfort gig as such. You know, I don't have the band gig. My my comfort gig is playing with Matt Malloy, like where we just go out and just with a load of sets, and we just lash it out. 
he doesn't have to worry about me and I don't have to worry about him and for some beautiful reason it works you know we yeah. just click um, so a lot of my gigs are different gigs all the time like I just did this show recently and we were six months kind of rehearsal we might never do it again you know what I mean yeah. it's very artistic but um, so like you know it's that's it. I uh, I play with so many different people, you know. So what's what's the immediate future for you? Uh, well, I've just landed a a nice little job, if you like, called um, the Sligo Musician in Residence. That's right. Congratulations. So that's a nice thing. It means that I'm going to be well. I'm based down there anyway, and I've got a few duties to do during the year. Just having a presence around the county, helping out, maybe teaching, demonstrating, playing them some of the older music. Uh, it's just in its infancy, so we're just trying to get a program together for what I have to do. Mm-hmm. I still teach in the university in Limerick, so I'll be probably starting up in September, doing gigs with Matt Malloy in uh, in the UK in November with Brian McGrath and uh, other odds and sods that are just coming the way, you know. Yeah, just and on I'm, the teaching, one thing I, I do like to ask about is what's your what's your approach or your philosophy to teaching? What kind of teacher are you? I'm a, I'm a more of a facilitator than a teacher um, because, you know, everybody's so different in the music. Where I teach, a lot of the musicians are already very skillful players. You know, they've already developed a high, you know, a high technique. Mm-hmm. And um, so I try to show them some some skills that I've picked up over the... and some tunes, you know, that I've... I feel they might not have had and try and show the beauty in it. I like using some chordal enhancements in me playing, you know, so sometimes I haven't thought about this note could go under that note. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's everything and anything, and sometimes I come in with a tune and I say, well, let's look it up. You know, I might not know the tune. Mm. So we look it up and then we find other people who play it. And they'll play for me a tune often, and I know they haven't got half the tune, but they've learned it from somebody who didn't have half the tune. I say, well, yeah, there's these few notes here now. This is the person who first recorded that tune. Yeah. So I think history is very good to know in Irish music, and I'm trying to encourage it more in the university where I work. That there should be. Um, I hope that I do more on uh, classes on hi- the history of Irish music and get people to listen more to to. There's a journey there. I mean, the, the recordings are all out there. But sometimes people's history is like where they learned for a flower kill only about three or four years ago. You know? And it isn't it isn't it isn't easy to come by. There's me the, the complete yeah. outsider to go, right, yeah. where's my dummy's guide to the entirety of yeah. Irish music? That isn't yeah, <laughs> that well, one. maybe that's something that should be done by somebody, you know, it could be a good Yeah could be a good thing for a university student obviously can't cover it all but you can certainly no but just even to see the when when you hear names like Porrick O'Keefe you want the student to know who he was or you know Julia Clifford it's all these names that you keep hearing Mm -hmm. you know Lad O'Byrne look them up you know it's it's all you know and it is all there it is all there yeah Yeah. Um, before we go I'd love to have one more tune, but there's one more question I want to ask you about. It's a, it's something that um, Eileen and, and Mary brought up, and it was the art of listening. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn banjo, and I find listening, it, it's a very hard thing. Right? Do you have, do you have a, a take on listening? Well, you see, I, I, I've never really taught any... I've never tried to teach how to listen, but I've certainly played recordings with people, and so, especially when they have a handle on the tune, and maybe play them somebody else back and say, "Can you hear what they're doing there?" You know, I do have a good ear for that. Right. And uh, let's go back again. You know, let's go back again and see what went on there. And um, it's just uh, <laughs> ear muscle memory then to try and focus in. Uh, there is techniques now of course you can slow things down and they used to do that back in the day with the 78 records they'd slow down you know they wouldn't have a gun at a breakneck speed so it's just taking the time it's not easy in the modern day but if, you, if you're serious see everybody just wants to play you know and once they just learnt the tune that's it but it's, that's so the, only the start of it yeah. like, you know 
So um, that's cruel. Try to encourage people to, to listen all the time. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day um, to find your CDs and where you're playing and all that kind of stuff. Where should I send people to? I suppose info at johncartymusic.com will get them through to a website, www info John Carty music I think yeah. no worries I'll, I'll put it all in the yeah. show notes oh, we're, we're, oh yeah Racket Records is our le- record label yep so all the little CDs we've made over the years you know there's a store of them there all there that's yeah. the place to get them from yeah yeah. thank you so much do you you're think welcome. we could maybe go out on another one yeah sure thank you so much you're welcome uh, I never played mazakas in my life but I learnt two this year so I'm going to play them for you like waltzes, but uh, did you say a mazaka? Mazaka, yeah, mazaka. Right, I want to be me in this whole situation. What is that? Well, it's a style of tune. You're going to hear the 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 rhythm of it. They played them a lot in Donegal. Uh, they were a dance. You know, there's a very definite beat to them. And this one we're in Drogheda. Well. The first tune I got was from a County Clare man that lived up this way. His name was Joe Ryan. I'm nearly sure he lived in Drogheda or yeah, okay. around the area. It's called Peeler's Creek. It's also played in old-timey music. And the second one I got from a fiddle player called Verona Ryan, and she lives in Sligo. And apparently it's unusual because it's got three parts. So Not too bad. fantastic oh. wasn't it lovely you're not allowed to say fantastic anymore don't we oh no i'm not uh, was, uh 
That was lovely. It was so nice, wasn't it? Yeah, it was fantastic. It was ah, so, fantastic. <laughs> it's all right. It was, just, it was so fantastic. strange to be sitting in my uh, my mom and dad's back room. It was uh, it was quite frantic. Uh, it, the interview wasn't supposed to be happening, and then all of a sudden it was again, and it was it was really nice. Well, thank you. you did a brilliant. That, that is such a great great conversation. I love that stuff about um, the idea of a session evolving in in London pubs and that whole kind of London culture, which I spoke to. Hmm. Kevin Burke about a few weeks ago. That, that that was really really fascinating. Yeah. Um. So nice work. Thanks, man. And thank you again to everybody who's gone to patreon.com forward slash Blarney Pilgrims. Um. If you haven't, please nip along and subscribe. And just before we go, as always, I'll uh, check the show notes if there's any CDs or anything like that. Uh, John has uh, a lot of great stuff. Yeah, that's all going to be in the in the show notes. So get in there and get some CDs. And thanks again, John Carkey. Good luck. Hi, my name is Pietro. Please become a good subscriber to the podcast. Thank you.